Welcome, everyone, to another podcast of Inland Lighthouse Life and Bible Studies. I'm your host, Brother Danny. With me is Brother Ronnie Granados. Praise the Lord. And today we're going to have a good episode for you. Right now, though, we're going to go ahead and introduce our special guest, Brother Lee. Hello. Thank you. Um, so today you have something very special for us. Uh, would you mind explaining? Yeah, today I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about creation, evolution, and uh, more specifically, uh, how it relates to the scientific method. Awesome. That sounds pretty interesting, don't you think, Brother Ronnie? Mm -hmm. Actually, it's very interesting. Can you explain what the scientific method would be? Yeah, so a general outline of what I'd like to talk about today is the scientific method, then actually uh, discuss three scientific experiments or studies that, that uh, were done, and, uh, and then uh, have just some general discussions about uh, how they relate to cre uh, creation and evolution. So first of all, the uh, scientific method, okay, and, and that, that really needs to be the basis of, of all of our discussions, and it, is it scientifically true and, and, and that. So basically what the scientific method is, is you make an observation about something. And uh, once you make an observation, then you kind of come up with some questions and, and, and uh, think about, well, you know, what, is, what does it really mean? What does what I see really mean? And then you formulate a, a, a hypothesis or a theory. But then the key part of that is setting up tests so you can either prove or refute uh, what you actually thought what the theory was. And the other key component of this is, is in order to be verifiably true, somebody else in some other setting uh, also has to come up with the same results. Or you modify your, your uh, testing and, and, and your hypothesis, but basically what's repeated and, and uh, by you or other um, scientists doing the testing, uh, then you, once you finally come to that, then you can make conclusions and then it can e eventually be fact or knowledge and say, okay, we have had a, uh, a hypothesis, we tested it, it was duplicated, and now we can say, yes, this is true, this is fact. And so it has to follow that basic outline, because uh, if not, then, then you're just kind of just guessing. So what I'd like to kind of describe, and before I actually get into the studies, uh, one thing I'd like to, a scripture I'd like to bring up. Now, I'm coming at this, obviously, from uh, a Christian point of view. Okay, I've already made my decisions, my conclusion based on, on my learning and training and, and what I believe. Uh, but there may be people out there that uh, there may be evolutionists out there or, or atheists, you know. But one of the scriptures I like is uh, from the book of Acts, and it's Acts 8, 30, 31. It says, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. I like that scripture um, for this fact that the man, he didn't have an attitude that he knew everything and he was reading stuff. And obviously he, he uh, felt it was important to study the scriptures, but he, he knew, I, I don't really understand what I'm, what I'm getting here. So he was willing, he had an open mind to listen. And whether you uh, are a Christian or even if you're an atheist or whatever, I think that attitude needs to be in everyone, no matter what the subject is or what you're talking about, uh, in order to to expand your knowledge and if because if you're closed-minded and you go into something where you have a set uh 
uh, preconceived agenda or no, uh, notion of what the outcome is, then you're, you're never really going to get anywhere and you could be just living a, a, living a lie in your life. And so I think that's key that we all have that. Well, before we go into your lesson fully, um, why don't you give us a little background of, uh, of what you do and how you sure. know this? Sure. Uh, I uh, always was fascinated as a young child with science. And uh, from my early um, grammar school days, I remember actually going into high school. I can, I can still remember my eighth grade uh, science teacher writing on my final report card in eighth grade before I went to high school, he, he, he commented and said, no matter what facet of science um, um, Bob went, wanted to go into, I'm sure he would do well. And I've always liked science and math. And I went on to uh, UC Berkeley, and I, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to study biology or chemistry. And I talked to a friend of mine, and it was an elderly lady, and she said, well, why don't you study biochemistry? And I didn't even know that that topic <laughs> existed. Oh. And sure enough, it was. So that's what I majored in. That's what I graduated in. So I had a degree in biochemistry. Then I went on, took some graduate classes at Stanford. And then I went to Indiana University, where I received my master's in biochemistry. It actually, under the, the um, guidance of my research professor, who was the head Head of the biogeochemistry lab. He's a very brilliant man. And actually, I'll talk about him in one of his, um, in one of the studies. I want to bring up uh, one of his uh, mentors that he had was a Nobel Prize winner. And uh, so that's, that's where it was. So oh, I wow. so love you... science and I stuck with it and I've been fascinated with it ever since. Wow. Okay. So that, I guess, gives him a good. Uh... <laughs> so in essence, when dealing with creation versus evolution, you would be a by our standard, I guess, uh, a theologian in this arena. Well, uh, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> for lack of better terms. <laughs> okay. It's interesting you bring that up. Now, uh, for the most part of my life, I, I, I didn't have much of the theology part. I wasn't a Christian while I was going to school for all, all of my study. And uh, actually, uh, I, you know, I just was in the world basically. And so I came at it with, and I took it, whatever the professors taught and whatever, but I wasn't coming at it from a Christian point of view. It wasn't actually until I started coming to, uh, Inland Lighthouse church and, uh, became a Christian. And, uh, then I kind of thought back of how I wished I'd had a Christian point of view and that perspective when I was studying that. Cause now I find things more actually exciting than when I was going to school because there's a purpose. And actually, uh, one of the greatest scientists that ever lived was Isaac Newton. And he made a comment and said that, um, the only reason he studies science is because he knows that there is a God. And he was considered one of the most brilliant scientists that ever lived greater than Einstein, greater than anybody. He was an incredible man. Wow. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. All right. Well, um, let's, let's continue on and see what, uh, see what your lesson is. Okay. One of the first, uh, um, uh, experiments I want to talk about and, uh, was what's called, uh, the Miller Urey experiment, Stanley Miller and Harold Urey. Now that's where, uh, Harold Urey kind of ties into my research advisor in, uh, at Indiana university, uh, at, in Chicago in the early 1950s, around 1952, uh, Stanley Miller and, and Harold Urey, uh, did this experiment. It's become a very famous experiment. Of course, um, 
evolution was starting to really kind of, you know, take some hold. But there was a lot of things that Darwin had uh, presented that they just really didn't have any kind of scientific uh, proof of how this this began. And and so uh, Stanley Miller and Yuri uh, thought, well, let's try to let's see if we can duplicate what we believe the atmosphere and the world was like millions and millions of years ago and see if we can come up with a, a theory on how life you know, started. And where it's kind of interesting, actually, in my master's thesis in Indiana, I referenced uh, a, 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 another article, not this particular experiment, but some other work by Harold Urey, because my research advisor actually worked for this man as a doctorate student um, at the University of Chicago. So anyway, this now let me give you some background of, of Harold Urey. He was a Nobel Prize winning uh, scientist. He actually won the Nobel Prize uh, for the development or discovery uh, of deuterium, uh, which is an isotope of hydrogen. And uh, that gained him um, incredible notoriety. He actually studied under another brilliant scientist uh, named Gilbert Lewis, who actually has, has a building named after him at the UC Berkeley campus and uh, was a brilliant man in the early, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Well, my professor, like I said, it had worked uh, under uh, Harold Urey uh, studying stable isotopes. And I'm not going to go into all the chemistry and what, what all that is, uh, maybe in a, in a future podcast i can um but he was a brilliant nevertheless he was a brilliant scientist and uh so one of the tests and what they did was again they wanted to mimic and duplicate what the uh what the atmosphere was like back in you know millions and millions of years ago so they took some small molecules such as uh hydrogen methane gas and ammonia and water and they boiled the gas they vaporized it and then they actually uh, bombarded the uh, the vapors with electrodes to simulate night uh, simulate high, uh, lightning. Sorry about that. And uh, and then what they did was they extracted and analyzed over a period of a week all the materials that came out. And what they discovered was was when they analyzed the material, it turned like a black tar type of material. Was they found some amino acids. And the scientific world, the evolutionists went nuts. They said, there it is. We lightning, water, a few small molecules, and out pops um, uh, some amino acids. Now, amino acids are the building blocks of, of proteins, which is what life are made out life is our bodies are made out of. And so what they thought was, well, here's here is a way that how it all began. These molecules then uh, formed uh, more uh, complex molecules, and uh, and then basically that was it. Life began from this. Now going back to the scientific uh, method, uh, because you know no one was around to observe what really happened. That's what they tried to do. They tried to to mimic uh, what the atmosphere was like. So the the. the I'm not here to, to, to discredit the work that they did. I believe it was probably some great, you know, work. And, and wow, they, you know, during the time they, they were able to do this, they set up this experiment and, uh, and they analyzed. And, and I'm not refuting the fact that they may have analyzed and found five amino acids. But finding five and, and amino acid is a far cry from life. Right, That's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's, it's life is so complex. And uh, the problem with um, 
with with that though is is okay so they they discovered this the same experiment that they did as as fast or even faster that they uh, were able to synthesize through this apparatus these molecules the same lightning destroyed these are the same electrodes destroyed and broke down the molecules just as fast. So nothing really bigger or larger was going to actually grow or come together and combine in this atmosphere. And so the problem with, so that's one of the big problems with this experiment. So then basically what you're saying is they tried reproducing what they did the first time. The results the second time weren't consistent with the results of the first test that they had done. Am I getting that correct? No. So they, they, they try to duplicate what actually might have happened millions and millions of years ago when the Earth was what they call a primordial soup. So they tried to replicate the uh, environment of what was happening on, on Earth 13 okay. billion years ago or whatever. Okay. Now, the, the again, what the biggest problem is now, now, from my own personal perspective, I happened to be at the church here about 18 years ago, and out of the corner of my eye, it was rainy, we had a thunderstorm, and uh, I saw a flash of lightning out of the corner of my eye. And right outside the office here, one of the uh, tall uh, uh, cypress trees, which are the, I think that's what it is, the spire-type columnar type of tree, mm-hmm. was actually struck by lightning, okay? And... Uh, as soon as it hit, it caught on fire. It practically destroyed the tree. I think it actually killed the tree, okay? And so that shows me right then and there that lightning doesn't tend to uh, create things. That, that cypress tree didn't turn into a giant sequoia a few years later. It didn't help it at all. In fact, like I said, it killed it. And so uh, to say, again, I'm not saying that their experiment, the guy was a brilliant scientist. And, and uh, in fact, some of the other credentials, he was part of the Manhattan Project where they uh, developed the, the atomic bomb. And he was with that great group of scientists that did that. And so we're thankful for some of his accomplishments. But to say that just because some amino acids were formed in this in this test tube uh, is a far cry from actually life happening. So were, were they able to um, kind of redid the the tests on it too? In fact, what, what was interesting, many many years later, students found some of the vials, and they actually found some other types of amino acids and other molecules in there. But again, one of the other problems they did as as um, technology got better is there's there's what's called uh, stereochemistry is something that's very important in in uh, in in life, and what that basically is is in a way to kind of uh, to demonstrate to to you and the audience is um, if you were to shake somebody's hand, you stick out your right hand and shake their hand, okay? If someone were to stick out, if you were to stick out your right hand and they were to stick out your left hand, it's kind of an awkward type of, of a feeling. It just doesn't fit. Yeah. Well, that's because our hands are actually mirror images of each other. Okay. Well, molecules have that same type of structure. The orientation and how molecules are put together is is extremely important because they they have to touch and connect and interact and um, bind with other molecules. And so the orientation of of whether something is 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 veering off to the right or to the left it makes a, a big difference. And what happens is in these random uh, electrode strikes and boiling and vaporization. In their test tube, they created both L and D form amino acids. 
which is is what's the stereo isomers of, of each of those and so uh and, and life tends to only have uh, natural systems nature only uses the one form so that is again a big well why you know so if this was the reason and and how life uh, began uh you would only expect one form so it it, it creates a lot of problems more than it than it actually solves um, so, so there, so I'm just kind of leaving in your mind. You need to think about that. It was a great experiment, but I just really don't think it has uh, all the merits to pr prove that life uh, formed that way. Another uh, experiment that was done, a, a study was on, uh, it was a medical research that was done. Uh, many, many uh, medical doctors and scientists uh, studied a condition that they called optic nerve hypoplasia. What that condition is, is while um, babies are developing in the womb, uh, the optic nerve and the optic discs do not develop. It's a genetic uh, disorder. And what basically happens is, and, and to kind of put this, make an analogy, it's kind of like if you had an appliance and uh, an electrical appliance and you have a cord and you plug it in. Without the optic nerve, is almost like not having the electrical cord to plug it in. So you have the appliance, but if you don't have the cord and you, you have an outlet, but without the cord, you're not going to get any kind of activity on whatever the appliance is. It's just not going to work. Well, that's what the optic nerve does. Your eye gets a signal of light, goes through the optic nerves to the brain, and it processes the image and, and your brain uh, does all that. Well, they've done study after studies that if you don't have the normal um, average human has about 1.2 million uh, optic nerves. Uh, in these people, they're, they're minuscule. There's, there's really nothing there. And so they don't have it. Now, test after test, they, they, they know that if you have this condition and there is no um, optic nerve, you're basically blind. There's, there's varying degrees of this. Some, some people, patients have one eye maybe affected, but typically it's bi what's called bilateral optic, uh, ONH, optic nerve hypoplasia. Now, so going back to the scientific method, they, they, they test the people, they study the people, they observe, there's no disc, they, they have measurements, the, the amount of nerves and, and the, uh, the size of the disc, and they make that observation, patient after patient, they study them, they can tell these people are blind if, if they have meet these certain conditions. There's a lot of other uh, abnormalities that tend to come with uh, optic nerve hypoplasia because it's a developmental disorder of the eye. And what happens is there's uh, uh, um, cerebral um, issues, there's growth issues, um, and typically the lifespan, a lot of these uh, individuals are a lot shorter because there's just a whole lot of developmental issues that tend to come along with this. But the main, the main thing that you see, the symptom you see, is basically they're, they're blind. Now, so that's what science will tell you. You know, if you have this condition, we've tested it. There's studies, they know it, they've documented. If you have this condition, you're going to be blind. Well, I want to bring up another case. If I get emotional, I apologize because it's very personal to me. My grandson has optic nerve hypoplasia. He was diagnosed when he was a baby uh, with this disease. And when we took him in, we noticed one of the other things that with this uh, characteristic of the disease is that the eyes tend to shake and quiver. There's uncontrollable uh, movements of the eyes. And we took him in and they said, we need to do tests. So they did all the tests. 
they looked at it. They did the measurements. They measured his uh, his optic nerves. They measured his disc, and they basically told us um, that your grandson's going to be blind. Now this is Shane, right? This is Shane, and uh, so we just went home and wow, um, what do we do? Well, as Christians, what do you do? You you pray. So we started praying. We took him uh, into the up to the altar. We would pray with him and pray for him. We let anybody pray for him and pray for him, um, even out in public. People could see that that his eyes had problems because he couldn't focus. He'd basically stare, had that kind of blank stare. He'd look past you. You could look in your direction, but you knew he wasn't really looking at you. He couldn't focus. And um, again, we kept praying. Well. Um, they did the correction of the, uh, there, there's no cure for this. Uh, optic nerve, nerve surgery is just, is impossible. They, they haven't reached that stage yet. And there was nothing he could do. Glasses wouldn't work. Nothing would help him. Uh, they said, we do believe we can control the muscles movement and, and tighten up the muscles and do some things there. So he went in for surgery for that. And his muscles, his twitching in his eyes, uh, was, was fixed and corrected. Well, we continued to pray, and uh, about this is uh, they diagnosed him when he was about three or four months old, and so he was part of this study because they wanted to continue to see, you know, how how things go. Well, my wife took him in to a follow up appointment uh, about a year later, and um, they when she came to the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. They uh, say, well, go ahead and he's on, he's on the phone right now. He's busy, but go ahead and go into his office. So she brought my, my little grandson in, Shane, and, uh, and she set him down. Well, he had this toy, one of those, and you may uh, recall them. Uh, it's a little uh, ring toy with a little post and different colored rainbow colored rings. And so she set him down on the floor, and, um, and the doctor was a little busy on the phone. He's talking on the phone, and my wife was sitting there. Well, Shane started picking up these rings and was putting them on, on this on this post in the right order. And, and he was picking them up. He put them up to his eye and put them down and put them on the thing. The, the doctor was on the phone, and it's exactly what he said. He goes, I got to go. I got to go. I can't believe what I'm seeing. And he hung up the phone, and he came in and started talking to my wife. And he said, what, what's he doing? He, he can see. He, he, he can't. This is impossible. There's no way he can do this. This is impossible. Wow. And uh, and she goes, how he, she started. He started grilling my wife. Like, how long has he been able to do this? He goes, we, you know, he's been doing it for for several months. It's you know, and didn't think. He goes, this is this is impossible. This cannot happen. I I don't believe what I'm seeing. And my wife, this is where I get emotional. So I apologize. My wife said, Doctor, we believe in God. And when you told us that he was going to be blind. And he told us that all he'd be able to see was light and shadows. We started praying and said, we know a God that can do miracles. And from that day forward, we've been praying and uh, just believing that God's going to touch him, heal him. And, and he said, that's the only answer. There's nothing would explain this. It's a miracle. Thank you, Jesus. So the study ended because he didn't, he didn't fit anymore. Now his eyes aren't perfect. Now, what I'd like to ask is, is how would an evolution explain, an evolutionist explain the evolution of miracles? I mean, I mean, you take the big bang and maybe a few molecules happen and then all of a sudden you get life. I mean, that's the miracle. But here we have a true case where science will tell you one thing. He can't see. He shouldn't be able to see. We have tested it. We have a hypothesis. We've done through tests. It's repeatable, very 
verifiable, but for some reason Shane can see. And the only explainable, and even the doctor said that, is that there was a miracle that took place. That's awesome. You know, and you hear a lot of stories like that throughout, you know, everywhere, you know, that God touches somebody, heals somebody, you know, does what scientists say that it's impossible. Yeah, it's just amazing how, how wonderful God is and how how amazing he you is. You know, it's, it, it, it is it when you think about the dynamics. I mean, this young man, he's how old now? He just turned 19 in July. He's turning 19. He's going to be aiding us with the website. And, I mean, his intellect is phenomenal. He plays the piano like it's nobody's business. And to see the way that he functions, all things considered, without the proverbial cord connected to the source. But yet you see that there is a God that's got him plugged in so that he can do what he needs to do. And, and it's just, it's, it's awesome. I mean, just, and it's like you said, if it, you can't say it's a coincidence and, and, and this dynamic, you can see that this is the hand of God in operation, because if it was a scientific thing, then by the dynamics of science, like you said, he shouldn't be able to see. He should be able to see. But yet exactly. he's able to see. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's powerful, powerful. He's already, he's in his third year of college. Again, he's only 19, third year of college. He graduated from school early and he's getting A's and B's and he's in computer graphic design. And, and again, he's doing, he's doing great. And it's a miracle. We thank God for it every day. Awesome. The, uh, the, another experiment I like to talk about, this is another, what I think is an interesting one. Uh, and this one, actually, my brother uh, was involved with while he was in school and it involved alcohol and rats. OK, so they did this study. It was more of a behavioral studies experiment. And what they did in this experiment is that they every every student in the, in the class, they all had their own rats and they'd had these rats uh, like all year. Uh, from what I remember, this is this is many years ago. And uh, they basically became pets. My brother would carry the rat around and crawl around his shoulders and and uh, and they, you know, just became friends so to speak <laughs> and so anyway in this experiment what they did though was um they put the rats in the cage and they had those water um feeder bottles uh, droplets in there and the rats would eat and take care of and and whatever well then they introduced a second bottle in there but this bottle was not filled with water it's filled with alcohol okay the rats would go up and they'd smell it but then they go to the water they wouldn't touch the alcohol Okay. Well, then after a few days, they remove the water bottle feeder and all they had now for the rats was alcohol. So the rats started because they get thirsty, they started drinking alcohol. And then this went on for several days they kept drinking the alcohol, drinking alcohol. They drink until they basically passed out would fall down. Okay. (laughs) Well, then what they did was they reintroduced the water bottle. And guess what? That rat that had an aversion that wouldn't go to the alcohol when they had the choice, when it had never been introduced to alcohol, now when it had for several days, all it had was alcohol. Now when it put the water back, it never touched the water. It only went to the alcohol. It would drink and drink until it passed out. Okay. And uh, so, so let me summarize again. Water only, 
it loved it. Water and alcohol, it took only the water, wouldn't touch the alcohol. Alcohol only, that's what it drank. Well, then when they put the water and alcohol again, all it went after was, was alcohol. Every student, that's the way they did. And uh, so in this test, that's exactly what happened. Now, we know, and it's, and it's sad in, in, uh, in, in our human lives, uh, conditions of alcoholism and stuff. And I'll tell you, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I won't say I'm ashamed, but I'm not proud of it, uh, is I basically was an alcoholic and I came from a family drink and I started drinking when I was young. Okay. Now science will tell you once you start drinking and you start going down that path where that's all you want is alcohol, just like those rats. They had a controlled experiment. They did this. They came up with a hypothesis. They had conclusions. They tested it, and it was repeatable, verifiable, so it met the conditions of the scientific method. Well, in human life, I grew up. I started drinking. My family was drinking. I was exposed to it, and that's all I wanted to do was go and drink and drink and drink. Well, finally, on one day, I know exactly the date. It was June 15, 1995. I went to an altar. I knelt down. I repented of my sins. I said, God, I don't want to live the life I'm living anymore. And I said, God, you got to help me. I cried. I wept. And I said, God, and I got up and he filled me with the Holy Ghost. I got baptized that night. And that was June 15, 1995. I haven't had a sip of alcohol ever since. And I, I, thank, I thank God for it. Science will tell you that I should have just continued down that path of destruction. Right. Should have continued drinking just like that rat did and stuff. But for some reason, I didn't. And it's only the mercies of God. And, and basically, I call that another miracle. It's not like, you know, recovering a sight. But again, it's it's a more of a, a, of a f- experiential miracle. And I thank God. So again, science. So there's something there. Again, test after test. If you just continue down the path, well, you're going to destroy yourself. But for somehow God intervened, and that's the only way. There wasn't no classes or whatever. It was one day. It it was done. And God helped me there. I remember that for me too. You know, this was a while back, but yeah. You know the the scripture comes to mind. It says, "He who the Son has set free is free indeed." It doesn't take, and you, I know that there are secular programs that people can get help with, and if that's the means of which that they use, that's one thing. But one thing that I have yet to see is somebody do as you've done, and I can say, everybody here in that regard, find a place to get a hold of God, and if He doesn't, I mean, it, it's it's an impossibility to not see Him intervene and deliver that individual from that addiction, whatever it may be, and. It's powerful to see what God can do, even in that regard to now teaching the knowledge of, of science and and creation and showing the, the dynamics of it. I mean, who would have thought, right? But that's the mercies and the goodness of God. So that's basically it. And all I really want to say then is in, in kind of conclusion is, is uh, you know, there's some great science out there. I love science. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But you need to be careful. You know, uh, I think our universities, our campuses around the country, have an ag- they definitely have an agenda, I think. And you need to really be careful and consider who's doing the research, um, uh, who's backing, who's funding the research. Right. And do they have any kind of agenda? Right. And uh, really look at the actual science. And, and and, and, and science versus creation is such a broad 
we're just scratching the surface on, on, on one thing, the scientific method, but you could go to millions of other uh, areas and, and talk about, it. I think when you get into a debate and talk about something, you really need to narrow down the scope of, of what you're talking, get a precise exact, well, what, what is exactly is it like, for example, the Yuri Miller experiment, what exactly are you trying to prove and really get down and narrow it down and, uh, and then really talk about it. Cause if you don't, you're going to just, go in so many different directions that that no neither side nothing's going to be accomplished that's good awesome um you know i forgot to send you that link of that um the scientist that proved uh the mathematical mathematical equation (laughs) i forgot to send that to you so anyway that's uh that's that sounds pretty amazing what do you think i'm just i'm astonished just to see what what science can do and and even i've heard and maybe you can even just clarify that even as scientists and, and people that are atheists are looking to debunk um, the biblical principles and the teachings of the Bible, the more that they're finding that they're true and that through science now to where it was once a method to disprove or the credibility of God's existence. Now through science and the technology that we have, we're seeing more that there's proving of God and the things of the Bible are being fulfilled and, and, and everything in that light. Yeah, the, the Bible, I mean, obviously, it, it isn't meant to be a science textbook, but I'll tell you, there's nothing in the Bible that disagrees with, with science and, and, and any kind of experiment that, that's been done. There's nothing that, that you know, um, it's, not, it's in complete harmony with, with, with the world, and I think that's the way God designed it. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Brother Lee, for coming and uh, spending some time with us here and giving us this good lesson on creation and evolution. Brother Ronnie, do you have anything to add? I'm at a loss for words, brother, but this was very good, very good, and I really enjoyed what you had to say. I look forward to the next podcast. I really do. This was very insightful. I hope you have me back. Oh, definitely. Well, um, that's it for us here, folks. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you very much for joining us, and have a good night.